welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. I want to welcome the, those who are joining online. Just glad you can be part of the, of the service with us this morning. There, there are two important questions that I think everyone will at some point answer. Uh, you can't help but answer. One is, uh, is there life after death? And two, what does that look like? And again, at some point, we'll all have to, to answer that question. And uh, for us as believers, we know that there's life after death. Uh, Jesus is the proof of that, that he was resurrected and he shows that there is resurrection, that death is not the, does not have the final say in anything. But Paul writes to, to the same uh, church that we're, we're studying here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, he says that if there is no resurrection though, then we're to be pitied because we've given our life for nothing. Our life doesn't matter for what we're doing then if there's nothing beyond all this. And so we know that there's a resurrection. We know that there's life after death here. Uh, the question is, well, what, what, does that, what does that look like? What will happen to us? And Paul's going to address one specific aspect of that. I think there's a lot of different aspects that we could address, but there's one in particular that Paul's going to address, and that's going to be about the body. What kind of a body are we going to have? So this morning, my, my goal is to teach us some theology, some, some information to kind of inform our thinking so that we're, we're wise to what's going on um, and, and based on what the apostles taught. And then hopefully we can find some hope, some excitement of what to look forward to, but not so much excitement that you run out of here and just go kill yourself, right? So it's trying to find that balance, right? Where there's hope, but still also willing to stay. So there'll be no Kool-Aid to drink after the service in case you were wondering. Oh, come on now. The good news is it's all downhill from there. So no, that's bad news. Sorry. All right, let's, let's read our passage and move on. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 1, Paul writes, For we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that which is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer, rather prefer to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, this is a passage that isn't for us today in the sense that it's not our experience today. It's for what we get to look forward to. And yet there's something special in here for today, for each and every one of us, something that will hopefully provide that hope, provide that energy and that excitement Give us a new perspective on things to see how great your life is. So I look forward, Jesus, to you being the teacher and making that happen. In your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, well, new chapter here, chapter five. And, uh, you know, often when you read a book, you hit a new chapter and it's like a new thought, a new idea. And let's just let's keep going. But the reality is chapter five here is really just a continuation of what he was saying before. I mean, think about it. He begins with the word for at the beginning of the chapter. Have you ever read a book that typically begins with the word for or begin a chapter with the word for? It doesn't tend to, to start that way because it's connected to what came before all that. And so really what we're going to study this morning is, is a further explanation of what he said earlier in 2 Corinthians 4.14, which you've got that memorized, right, Michael? Yeah, we won't, we won't test it because we don't want you to get pride and arrogant. But, but we all know that verse, right? It's that famous verse, verse 14, where Paul said, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with him. So we've already been raised with him spiritually. So this idea that, that there's a future raising here is talking about the body. And so we just sort of made that comment. And now here in chapter five, he's going to expound on it. He's going to go deeper into that. And that's a typical thing that Paul does in his writings. So beginning in verse one, then he says, for we know that the earthly tent, that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. He's using this metaphor here of, uh, for our bodies, describing it as a home. And he's making a, a contrast or from what we have right now to what we're going to have or a comparison. And what we have right now, he says, is basically a tent. Now, keep in mind, remember, we're more than just a body. That's not just what we are. We've looked at other, in other weeks, we've seen that we're spiritual beings at the core, made in the image of God. God being a spirit, you and I are spiritual beings. That's who we are at the essence of our being. And we have a soul. And that spirit and soul are not, not the same. They're not synonymous. The writer of Hebrews says there's a division between soul and spirit. So we are spiritual beings. We have a soul, which is comprised of your mind, how you think, your will, the choices you make, and your emotions, how you feel when the Leafs inevitably lose in the first round, right? So we, we have all that stuff. I know it's early for Leaf jokes, but it's never too. Anyways, so, so we have a mind, will, and emotions in our soul, and we reside here in our body. But the body's not who we are. It's not our being. It's not who we are. As, as we're going to see later on, Paul's going to say, right, when I'm absent from the body, I, the real me, the spirit and the soul, I'm present with Jesus, with the spirit. And, and so that's who we really are. But we do have a body. And he's comparing this body to a tent. Now, let's be honest, not all tents are the same. Right. And as the tent ages, then it's not quite the same as it used to be. Right. So, for example, some tents are a little bit more threadbare on top and, and others tend to be a little bit flappier in the wind and, and a little bit weaker in the poles. And and they're not it's not quite the same kind of substance to them. And and, you know, now a little bit of a, a little bit of a stiff wind can knock over the tent. Right. And as we get older, as we age, our tents don't perform as well as they used to. Hence the groaning, not just in the crowd here, but hence the groaning that Paul's talking about here, that our bodies are aging, our bodies are aching because they're not operating the way they're supposed to be. And so we get to look forward to something that is permanent because that's the thing about a tent. A tent is temporary. 
Think, think about the, ten, uh, the forts that you might have built as a kid. I know I built them, and my kids built them. They seem to be kind of hardwired into their thinking, right? They'd spread a blanket over top of some chairs as, your, as the walls and put some weights or books on, on each end of the blanket so it didn't fold in or didn't collapse in. And, and then they would just read, or they'd play games under the, 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 the blankets. I know I did that as a kid. But they were very temporary in nature. They were very, very shoddy built. If there's any kind of a building inspector, I'm sure he would say that's not okay. But there's something better. There's something more permanent here. And so basically the tent is like those forts that your kids would build compared to a mansion that a, a very well-off, you know, rich celebrity or someone like that would live in. That's kind of the difference here that Paul's trying to make. It's a massive comparison here. Now, we're going to get into those differences in a moment here, but, but there's something I want to read really quickly that Paul says in verses 4 and 5. For he says, For indeed, while we're in this tent, while we're in this body, this physical body, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. He's looking forward to what's to come, what's, the, what's on the way. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, as a down payment. That's that word pledge here. It's a down payment. It's the, it's the deposit on the inheritance that's to come. So we're in this body, and it's, it's, it's fallen apart, and we're in this fallen world that is not the way it's supposed to be. And God doesn't just say, well, I'm glad you're saved. I'm, I'm glad we've taken care of that. And, and one day, everything will be great. But in the meantime, just, just, just fight through it. He doesn't abandon us to all that. Instead, is, is there's something here in verse 5 that he gives us, something that it gives us great hope. Do you see what it is? It's the Holy Spirit. And, and it blows my mind that the Holy Spirit is just the deposit. The Holy Spirit is just the down payment. It's just the beginning of that. Now, why? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is, is in you and I, is with you and I, so he can face with you and I every problem that you and I face. Let's think about this week and, and the illustration that God gave me to kind of help us describe this is, is that I want you to think about some companies out there, especially large companies or maybe even multinational companies, very large companies. And it's got multiple divisions, multiple departments, and some departments face bigger struggles, face bigger crisis. And what often happens is, is at the very top, they've got a guy. And this guy is, he's got no real job title per se, and he's got no responsibilities per se, but basically he just goes wherever the, the president or CEO sends him, and he's sort of the fixer. He's the guy that walks in and, and, and is able to provide leadership and guidance to that department if it's struggling or if it's going through a difficult period. Well, that's kind of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God's guy. He's the guy he sent into your, you and my, our lives so that he can help lead us and equip us and guide us through the struggles that you and I face. The difference being is that he's not coming and going. That would happen in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon someone and then would leave. But for you and I in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit's to come to dwell in us. Isn't that amazing? Christ in you. Christ in Chuck. Christ in Michael. Christ in Dan. That's who we are now. The Holy Spirit taking up permanent residence inside of us. 
And that's what he was saying in Romans 8.23. Again, you'll see the parallel passage here. You see the similarity here. Paul says, not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, he says. So the first fruits, the down payment, the deposit, the pledge, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. So we're still waiting for that. That's still to come. And that's important to understand because some, some were teaching even in Paul's day that it already had come, that the resurrection had already taken place and there was nothing more to come. But the reality is it is still to come, which is good news because you're probably groaning in your body. So it kind of raises up some four qu or questions of when we receive this body. And I think there are kind of four different options. We're not going to spend too much time on it because I don't think it's that critical, but it is inf inf um, interesting, I think. So four different options about when we receive the body. One option is that when you die, it says that your spirit and your soul would just sort of lay dormant in your body. You'd be asleep until the resurrection takes place. And that's when you would, would come, uh, come alive, so to speak. Uh, but there's a problem with that, I would say. And that is that, <clears throat> you remember Jesus' crucifixion? And he had these two thieves on either side. And one was the penitent thief. One was the, the sorrowful thief. And he was there to defend Jesus and say, hey, you know, the other thief was criticizing him. He says, hey, you know, he's innocent. And what did Jesus say to that thief? Today, you and I will be with my father in paradise. He didn't say, one day down the road, when your spirit and soul wake up, you'll be with me in paradise. He says, today. And so I don't think that's the option that our, our spirit and soul just sort of fall asleep. And another option is that we receive a spiritual body upon death. And this would match what Paul is saying in this passage, but not wanting to be naked. Amen? Right? Just not wanting to be this, this disembodied spirit out there floating around. And so therefore, the moment you die, you will show up in, in, in heaven with Jesus with this new spiritual body. That's one uh, idea or, or belief. Another is that it is disembodied, that we remain without a body and, and we're waiting to receive a new body. Now, again, that would seem to contradict what we, we just read in 1 Corinthians 5, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So that would imply that the, the resurrection doesn't take place till when? Until Jesus returns. So that's a third option. The fourth option is this temporary body. So it's sort of trying to match the two, saying, well, we don't want to be naked in heaven, but we also know that the body, new body doesn't come till, the, till Jesus' return, so you get a temporary body. It's sort of like a, a rental, car rental, right? One car's in the shop, and you got another car that you're driving, and then eventually you'll get the car back. That's sort of the idea. So of those four different options, I don't think it's option one, because again, we have the problem with the, the penitent thief and what Jesus said to him. I don't think it's option number four, because there's nothing in there saying that you have a temporary body, a little car rental sort of thing. So that means options two or three, either that we, we get one right away or we wait. And I don't know if it really matters. I think that's one of those things we'll find out when we get there. But if I had to pick one, I would say it's the one that we remain without a body until the resurrection. And I think when Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 5 about not wanting to remain without a body, I think he means that for eternity. But for, right, for a period of time after we die, until the return of Jesus, there's that period without a spirit. Now, here's why I say that, because we have a parallel passage that we can look at. Now, a parallel passage is just another part of Scripture 
uh, sometimes a different writer, sometimes the same writer, who's, who's commenting or teaching on the same idea, the same topic. And, and the advantage is when you're looking at a, a parallel passage is you can sort of make sure that your thinking and your conclusions line up. Do you see repetition in there? We saw the one earlier when we looked at Romans 8.23 and about this receiving the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, but still groaning in this body, waiting for a new body. So there's parallel passages can be very helpful. And Paul has a parallel passage where he goes into a lot more detail about the spiritual body in 1 Corinthians 15. So if we start in verse 20, Paul says this, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What he's saying here basically is this, that, that Adam, what he did in the garden, had huge implications, enormous implications. Death spread to all men because of what Adam did. That one sin, that one transgression. But Christ's work on the cross is much greater. Much, much greater. His resurrection has overcome all that Adam did in the cross. And so what's happened here is now we've got, we're going to have a new body. But he's going to go on to say that there's an order or a timeline to this. So beginning in verse 23, he says, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, meaning the resurrection of Christ was the beginning of that. He was the first one and he res resurrected. He was given a new spiritual body as well. That's the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. So after that meaning, then there's going to be you and I, those who are in Jesus, those who've accepted Christ to be our Lord and Savior. This is what he's come to rescue us from so that we could receive this new body, but it will be at his coming. And then comes the end. When he hands over, all over, the, over the kingdom to the, to, the, uh, to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. So there's that resurrection of Christ. And then it's going to be you and I and, and all the saints who will receive a new body at his coming. And then the end where all authority is given over to God, where all the enemies of God are defeated and abolished. That includes Satan, includes all the fallen angels, the, the demons. It includes all the other, you know, if there are any other principalities that aren't included in Satan and the demons, it includes the flesh and dwelling sin. And finally, it includes death itself. All of that will be abolished, will be taken out of the way. And what happens now is that Jesus and God are the only authority out there. Now, this is important to note because there are, there are some that, that are teaching and believing even that, that there is no end like that to come, that, that what we have is it, that this is it. This is, this is the goal. This is what Jesus came to do, is that he came so to, that we could reform this world. And what we need to do, we just need the right government. We need the right policies, the right leadership, um, and, and the right principles put in place, and we can create heaven on earth. And that's what they see. And they, they see that even the church's job is to make sure all that happens, that we can bring heaven to earth in the running of this earth. But the reality is this world is broken. This world is permanently broken and cannot be restored. And it never will be restored. So God has another plan for it. And there is an end. And so in Revelation 21, 
Paul, or the, John here writes about that. He talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven, the old earth pass away. So they're replaced with something else. There's an exchange that takes place. And so that's coming at the end. And when that happens, he says that God himself will be among you and I, and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll no longer be any death, and there'll no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because all the first things have passed away. And it's over. That's, that's what you and I get to look forward to. And so in that, Paul gives us a little bit more details about this, uh, this, this coming of Jesus. And, and we're almost done on the theology part. So just stick with me here. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as, the, as do the rest who have no hope. So here's why we're doing all the theology. It's because there's hope for us and understanding what Paul and the other apostles were teaching. He says, and listen to this, he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Do you see the condition there? It's not for everyone. It's available to everyone, but it's not true of everyone. It's true of those who believe. Those who've, who've named the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if we believe that he died and he rose again, then God will bring with Jesus all of those who have fallen asleep. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, you see the order to things that Paul's laying out. Then, after they've received their new bodies, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's return to our discussion of this body here. Um, because I, I think it's important to understand that there's, there's a whole change in this body that's going to take place. Something that we get to look forward to as a result of that. So again, some of you might be excited at that fact that you're going to get a new body. But I want you to know that the new body is still connected to the old body. And some of you may groan at that thought. Uh, you're hoping maybe to trade it in for a Ferrari type body versus the little Ford Pinto you've got been given. Uh, but, but stick with me because I, I, think, I think there's good news for us. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 35, Paul writes, but someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? Again, I think that's a valid question, right? And the answer is going to be death leads to a new and different life. He says in verse 36, you fool, which just means you're not thinking about it. He says that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow that you do not sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps a body, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of it, the seeds, a body of its own. So here's what he's saying. Think about nature, right? You, you go plant an acorn, you don't get a giant acorn. What do you get from that little acorn? You get an oak tree, right? You, you plant a, a kernel of corn, you don't get a big kernel of corn. You get 
an ear of corn. I don't know. It's just weird to me, right? But you get a plant, right? It looks very different to it, right? So the seed, what happens, that seed's got to go into the ground, and that seed needs to die. And out of that death comes new life, a different life. And that's the principle that he's going here. And so he's going to go on now and using nature to kind of show that, that there are differences here. Beginning of verse 40, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another fle flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds and another of fish. Remember, we're going through, through Genesis. We saw that each of those were created and they're unique and they're different. Wasn't an evolution one to another. They are different. The mankind, men and women are different from the, 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 the animals. And they're different from the birds. And they're different from the fish. Each one is unique and different. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. You look at the night sky, and, and every, some stars are brighter, and some are, are, are not. Some are bigger. Some are smaller. Everything's different. Everything's a little bit unique. That's the point he's trying to make. So now we're going to put it all together in verse 42. And he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. You and I, when we arrived here on planet Earth, the body, it was temporal. It was a tent. It was meant to perish. That was the plan. I mean, we have people who are investing billions of dollars in all kinds of research, hoping to live forever. It cannot happen. I guarantee you, it will not happen. That body you and I have been given is perishable. It has a best before date on it. But that's good. Because it is raised an imperishable, and it will be raised an imperishable body. See, if you and I were to live forever in this body, guess what you're stuck with? This body. And that's not what we want, because we're groaning in this body. And so it will die, and we will be raised with a new one. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Do you see the comparisons he's going to be making here? This body, this world is one of dishonor, but what's coming is glory. It's sown in weakness, but is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And he goes and he uses again, Adam. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, who's that? Jesus became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As, the earthy, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so all those also who are heavenly. Just as we born the image of the earthly, just as we born the image of Adam, we will also now bear the image of the heavenly. So what it's telling us here is a little bit of, of the nature of this new spiritual body that we're going to receive. It's going to be like Jesus' body when he was resurrected. Now, again, it wasn't a completely different body. He still looked like Jesus. He even had the wounds from the, the crucifixion on him. And he had still two arms and two hands and two eyes and so forth. All of that was the same. And he would still could eat and, and he could do all kinds of things. But he was alive in this new spiritual body. That's what we're looking forward to. But here's where I think there's hope for us. Because again, right now, I think every one of us, we struggle with body issues in some way. I almost guarantee you, I don't know anybody that doesn't struggle with body issues in, in any way. 
I mean, there, there are certain things that you're kind of born with that you don't get to choose, right? You don't get to choose your hair color. You don't get to choose, well, I guess you do later on in life, but you don't, you don't get to choose your skin color. You don't get to choose your eye color, really. You don't get to choose your size. There's certain things in your genetics that you don't even get to choose. You don't get to choose whether you're athletic or not, or, or whether you're, you're, you're tall and thin, or whether you're, you're stocky and wide. You, you don't get to choose that. You also don't get to choose where the fat's stored, right? I mean, you don't, those are things that are in your genes that you and I don't get to choose. And so we struggle with those things. And then, then there's other things that we do get to choose, but then we end up hurting our body. And so we don't like how we look. And so maybe we exercise and we, we, we diet and we starve our bodies hoping to look a particular way. And then when we look in the mirror, all we see is the shortcomings, where things aren't the right size and the right shape and the right look. And we're disappointed in our bodies and we're disappointed in our size and, our, and what we look. Or maybe we're just tired of being tired. We don't like the, the shape that we're in physically and we don't have the energy that we wish for. And, and so we're kind of angry at ourselves even for that. And so whether that you curse your body in the metaphorical sense or even some who curse it in the literal sense, we struggle with it. But that will come to an end. That will come to an end with these new spiritual bodies. You and I will never struggle again with shame. We'll never struggle again with body issues. Not because suddenly you'll be able to, you know, like an app, sort of like tailor make your body, right? You know, tailor your size, your waist and your legs and your arms. And so you won't be, that's not how it works. It's just that the one who shames you over your body is gone. See, I think this is, to me, the most glorious hope and the most glorious aspect of the future with this new body is what we lose. When our, when our bodies transform from the earthly to the heavenly, from the physical to the spiritual, something disappears. It's indwelling sin. It's the flesh. Now, please understand, indwelling sin, the flesh, is not your sinful nature. As some Bibles used to translate, that's not what it is. Indwelling sin is something that's in your bodies that came as a result of Adam's sin in the garden, but is not your nature. It's not who you are. Remember, you're spiritual beings made whole and pure through the first fruits, through what Jesus did on the cross. But there's something in our body called sin, the noun, called the flesh. The, and it's accusing us, it's attacking us, and it's shaming us. It's the voice in your head when you see yourself in the mirror and you start to hear those critical thoughts. Look at those bags under the eyes and, 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 and look at the wrinkles and, and look at the sagging skin. Boy, that's not a good shape. Boy, just suck in the gut a little bit more. And, and all those negative thoughts, those critical thoughts, that's coming from the flesh. That used to be our master. But the cross set us free from it when we died with Jesus on the cross. But the old master didn't die, and it's still around today. But when you and I receive a new body, the flesh is gone. All those accusations, all that criticism, all that shame, and all that temptation disappears. No more tears. And what will happen in that moment is we will see us for who we really are. See, right now, our problem is we see ourselves based on what the flesh tells us. It skewers our, our vantage point. 
maybe a way to think of it is, is have you ever gone into the, one of those um, fun houses where they got all the weird mirrors, right? And, and one's a wave, and you look like a wave. And, and others make you look really wide and, and, and really short. And others make you look really tall and really thin. I like that one a little bit, right? So you had the, those fun house mirrors. Well, the reality is when you're looking in those fun house mirrors, you don't see reality. You see a distortion of reality. Well, that's what the flesh is doing with your body. It's giving you a distortion of reality. And when you and I receive a new body, that distortion is gone. That voice is gone. And all we will hear then is the voice of Jesus to encourage us and to, to, and to build us up. And that's our hope. That's what we get to look forward to. No more struggles, no more pain, no more sorrow. Well, let's keep reading verse five. And this, this is the verse that just knocked me on my, on my keister. I was just so overwhelmed by what I saw in this verse. Hopefully you'll see it. Verse five, now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God. Do, do you see this? The one who's created us for this purpose is God. The, the language, I think, kind of made it a little bit difficult for it to really pop and jump off, this, off the page right away from me. So I missed it a few times. But, but then I, I looked at this more and more, and I thought I saw this purpose. There's a purpose that God made for you and I, but it's not for right now. There's something greater. Now, now please, please understand, I'm not saying there's no purpose for right now. There is a purpose for right now. But I see so many people that are locked up trying to figure out what's my purpose right now? What's my purpose right here? And they're worried, what if I miss my purpose? What if I don't do enough with my purpose? What if, what if I fall short with my purpose? What if I fumble my purpose? And, and God's trying to tell us there's something way bigger than what you've got right now. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, I'm going to steal an illustration from Francis Chan. It's, uh, it's so good, I figure, why, why, why try and make a new one? He used a rope. I'm going to use an extension cord because it's what I had available. But I want you to imagine now this, this long extension cord, and it just keeps going. You'll notice just, there's no end to it. And it's, it's a timeline. It's, in fact, it's, it's your timeline. And, and what I did is I, I put a little bit of tape. I don't know how well you can see A little bit of tape on the end here. This tape here represents your life here on Earth. The however number of years you've got here. And then the rest of the cord is eternity. And what, what's interesting is, is, is Chan made the point was, was how much time we spend worrying about this. You know, how much time do we spend worrying about our retirement? Think about that. I mean, if this, this whole piece of tape is your life, you know, here's, here's where you're born. Here was, here was kindergarten. That was, that was rough for some of you. I know. It's okay. You, you, you made it through on the third try. So well done. That was, that was good. Um, and, and then, and then you, you found Jesus. And then you got married. And, and then, then you had a family and, and kids. And, and they grew up. And, 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 and then they eventually left. And, and then this, this little last, like, you know, seven, eight millimeters, that's retirement. How much time do we spend worrying about that? How much time do we, do we worry about just, you know, when you're in high school or when you're in college or, or that presentation next week? 
Now, please understand, I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm not saying you don't have to worry about them and you can just ignore them and just mail it in. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, that your purpose on earth compared to your purpose for eternity doesn't compare. And, and God has a purpose for you. He's got a purpose he's planned out that he's going to work out. Now, again, does, does this life matter? For sure it does. Decisions here matter over for eternity. I mean, think about it this way. The decision to receive Jesus Christ had a dramatic impact on the rest of this timeline. So, yes, it matters. But the point being here is that, that you don't need to spend all your time worrying about today. Because there's something even greater, something even better to look forward to. And when I saw that, immediately 1 Corinthians 2, 9 popped in my mind. It's not like I knew the reference. I'd go look it up, just so you know. But I know you're disappointed, Michael. I know. But, but he, he says this, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and things which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, even your wildest imagination and dreams haven't even come up with the greatness that God has planned for us for the rest of eternity. And, and so I think what, what our hope is and what we're to do is, is, yes, we live in this world, equipped with the Holy Spirit to face each and every challenge in this world, but keep an eye on eternity. Don't, don't get caught up only in this world. Don't get caught up only in the cares of this world. Keep an eye on what Father's doing, what God's doing, and what he's got planned for us. Does it sound good? Sound hopeful? Sound better than what we have right now? So the question is, well, then let's get on with it, right? Let's just let it start now. Let this be the end of my tape. Let's just close the deal and go home, right? To be honest, it's a real question. It's a question that I, 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 I face with people or see, hear from people, especially when they're struggling, when they're in that pit. And they ask the question, what does it matter? Why, why stick around? Why not just go be with Jesus? No more struggles, no more pain, no more, no more voices, shame in my head, no more despair, no more darkness, no more bleakness. Why? Why stay? There's no value in that. And I understand the question. And the Apostle Paul struggled with that question. He wrote in Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, he says, I gain. I gain that new body. I gain that eternity. I, I, I lose the struggle. Big win for me, he says. But if I'm going to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Do I stay or do I go? Having the desire to depart me with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. It's almost like Paul had a choice. 
like God saying to him, you know, Paul, if you want to come home, I'll, I'll take you home. You've, you've served well, you've done well, but this could be it. And you come home and you'll, you'll get everything, that redemption of the body, you'll graduate. But if you stay, others will benefit because Christ lives in you. For to me to live is Christ. For me to live here, you get to experience Christ in me. And that's for your benefit. That will help you. That'll be profitable for you. So Paul says, I'm torn. I'm going back and forth. I'm not sure because it's really good for me. But I want to love you instead. I want to delay my joy, my gratification for you so that you could benefit. And that's what he's saying here. And so why do we stay on? Because quite frankly, there's more to happen here. There's still a purpose here. There's more to be done. So much more to come. But this matters too. On one level, not everyone's ready for heaven. That there are people still out there today who have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. Who've heard maybe about the gospel, heard about this man named Jesus, heard about this idea that he's died on the, on the cross so they could be forgiven and receive new life. They've heard that, but they've never actually received that. And really all that needs to happen maybe is now one of us to invite them to that. Hey, have you ever thought about life after death? Have you ever thought about that there is a God? Have you ever thought about making him the God of your life? And so maybe there's opportunities for us to invite others onto the life craft, uh, the life boat that is Jesus. Maybe there's other opportunities to love other people, to build them up and to encourage them. See, that's what Paul was doing. And even with these Philippians who had already received Christ, he saw opportunity to further build them up so that when he presented them to Jesus Christ, they would be complete and mature. And that's what you and I get to do, to live the rest of the time in this body, the rest of that extension cord, or, for, or sorry, in that blue. The rest of this time we get to live trusting Jesus Loving other people, knowing that I will have a huge, profound impact for eternity, where the real purpose begins, where the real life begins. And that, that's hard. Because to be honest, it's easier to leave. So let me close here in, in, in verse 6 to 8, what Paul says about that. He says, therefore, being always of good courage, having that confidence Knowing that while we're at home in the body, while we're here, we're absent from the Lord. Not that we're separated from God, but we're not face to face with him. We don't get to see him as we want to see him. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, a lot of information this morning, but I, I hope, I hope we see the hope. I hope that you'll be able to encourage each and every one of us with this, this incredible truth that there's something far greater that awaits us. That this here, this world is not what it's all about, which means we don't need to invest in all this world. We don't invest in everything that this world has to offer. Instead, we get to invest in your kingdom and everything we do with, with an eye towards what's to come. And so thank you that you sent us your guy, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to, to lead and direct each and every day so we know those moments when that's happening. May we have an eye and an ear to hear what he's saying to us. 
In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.